Let us pray together. Dear God, we thank you for your word that we have heard in these two scripture passages, your inspired, God-breathed word. We pray now that you would breathe your Holy Spirit into every heart and bid the fear and any sorrow from our souls depart. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So our worship theme this morning is Restore Us, O God, We Breathe. I don't know if you noticed that we were already singing about our worship theme last Sunday. I'll praise my God who lends me breath. Isn't that wonderful? Who lends us breath. Our breathing is a hugely important theme in Scripture that is often overlooked. As Samantha shared with us this morning in Genesis 2-7, God breathes into Adam's very nostrils the breath of life. And don't you just love that Hebrew word that she shared with our, our kids, ruach? Let's all say that together. Ruach. That's right. You know, English translators, they have to choose what it's going to mean, breath or wind or spirit, but when you read this in Hebrew, you're hearing it, all three meanings at the same time. And I just love that a member of our own congregation even has this word, ruach, this beautiful Hebrew word tattooed on his back. But don't worry, as far as I know, it's not a test of membership here at East Chestnut. So a core premise of the Bible is that God alone is the giver of life. God alone. Life begins when God breathes into us God's own breath or spirit or wind. And as we'll see today, the return of breath for the exiled children of Israel, for Lazarus, is a sign of God's ongoing restoration and gracious care for humanity. So let's explore this morning together what our breathing, what every breath we take, how that might connect us more intimately with God and the life of God in our world. I'm wondering, does anyone sitting here today remember their very first breath? (laughs) It must have been quite dramatic, don't you think? You know, this past Tuesday, little Cyrus, born to Mindy and Jared, friends of our congregation, took his first breath exactly at 1.38 a.m. And during these past 24 hours, each of us has mostly unconsciously breathed 
some 23,000 times just in the last day. And thanks be to God, breathing is something all of us, all of us sitting here today woke up doing. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And that's a beautiful word, actually. If you wake up in the morning and just feel like you have nothing to be grateful for, you can say, thank you for life and breath. I personally became more aware of my own breathing during a rather dramatic visit to Tibet 20 years ago. Three of us from Mennonite organizations went high up into the Himalayas, two miles above sea level, to scout out teaching schools, possibilities for Mennonite workers. And it's so cool that one of the places that we scouted out is where Irene's daughter, Elaine, taught for three months soon thereafter. At two miles above sea level, the air was so thin that I would wake up multiple times through the night gasping for air. Just ask my boss. <laughs> he couldn't even sleep. And so he kept on telling me how I was driving him crazy. You see, our brain, in our brain stem, we have a respiratory mechanism which tells us when our oxygen level is getting lower and lower. And my gasping, my waking up, was because my brain thought that I was suffocating. To connect with the preciousness of our every breath that we take, I invite us all now just to take in a deep, long breath and to hold it. As we are all discovering, we won't be able to keep living unless we let that one out and take in another. Go ahead and do that. Doesn't that just feel wonderful? I think breathing is also an incredibly vulnerable thing. You know, all of us are just one breath away from not being alive. And this reality can help to orient us and to live for the God who lends us breath. In today's reading from Ezekiel 37, we find ourselves six centuries before Jesus. The people of Israel have just experienced a disaster of 9-11 proportions. Their beloved Jerusalem has been sacked. Their loved ones have mostly been massacred. And they, the survivors, have now been exiled to far away Babylon. Their temple back in Jerusalem, which was home of God's very presence among them, has been completely razed and destroyed. And so their big question right now is, where is God? They are 
like a valley of dry bones, a people without life or breath. And dear friends, haven't all of us in our own lives journeyed through such a valley at some point in our own lives? Maybe we experienced a devastating loss, a moral failure, a struggle with addiction, an unanswered longing, a terrible injustice, a ruptured relationship, or a life-threatening illness. And friends, as a congregation here this morning, as a denomination, as a Mennonite family, as a nation, as a planet, don't we all ask some version of the question that we heard in Ezekiel today? Can these bones actually live? Friends, what is dead in you this morning? What has stopped breathing? What needs to be raised to new life, to be re-inspired by God? In life, we sometimes find ourselves in this valley of dry bones because of our own sinful choices. Sometimes we find ourselves in this valley because of the sinful choices of others put upon us. And sometimes the reasons for our suffering are just a mystery, particularly in an illness. Why? We don't know. But whatever their cause, dear friends, these times of disorientation can force us, especially if we're used to being self-sufficient and in control, to face a crucial, crucial reality. We cannot save ourselves. It's not possible. And only God is our hope. In Ezekiel 37 today, God says, I will bring you up from your graves. I will put my breath right into you, and you will live. And in John 11, Jesus stands outside of Lazarus' tomb and shouts, Lazarus, come out! (laughs) And imagine the sound of Lazarus gasping and breathing his very first breath. Notice how in Ezekiel 37, receiving new life and new breath from God leads this faith community to know that God is God. We see this in verse 16, in verse 13 and 14. And notice how in John 11, 
new life and breath actually allows the people to believe in Jesus, to follow him, and to walk more fully in his ways. Again, repeated three times, verse 25, 42, and 45. If you turn in your bulletin to the diagram in the insert, you'll see how our earthly journey is one in which we all invariably, you can't avoid this, folks, we all invariably travel through times of orientation, disorientation, and new orientation, we hope and pray. We move from stability to disarray to new life. And the final move to new orientation is invariably brought by some surprising event, unexpected from God, newness, that can only be credited to God. We will see this progression very soon, most fully, during Holy Week. When we move from the overwhelming disorientation of our Lord being crucified to the stunning new orientation of our Lord's resurrection on Easter morning. An amazing turn of events that can only be credited to God. And dear friends, we trust by faith We trust by faith that this same pattern of dying and being raised will be our own ultimate destiny as well. Take a look at that diagram again. Where are you today? Where are you? Where's our congregation in our sojourn together? Where are we? The book of Psalms especially teaches us to offer all that we are to God at all three of these stages. And what might that look like? Well, first of all, in our times of orientation, we bring freely to God all of our gratitude, delight, and thanksgiving. The next stage is one where we usually go mute and silent before God, but we must not. In our times of disorientation, We freely bring our sorrows and our fears and our rage and our protests to God. God, why couldn't the lives of M.J. Sharp and his colleagues have been spared? We bring this to God. God can take it. 
And then in our times of new orientation, we freely bring our rapturous praise and unfettered joy to God as well. Do you see it? No part of our lives is ever held back from God. Every part of our lives is joined with the life of God. Even our times, even in our times of disorientation, even then, we trust that nothing will ever be lost on the breath of God. Nothing. In our nation these days, Don't we find ourselves in one of these times of profound disorientation? Amen? The powers that be seem hell-bent on abandoning the vulnerable, on polluting the earth, on expanding ever more the military machinery of death. And in contrast to the grim bleakness of the empire, the writer Brian McLaren, whom Craig mentioned last Sunday, describes the church, the people of God, as a people filled with a conspiracy of hope. A conspiracy of hope. I love this image of us being a community of peaceful conspirators, which actually means a people breathing, conspiring, breathing together, breathing the same life-giving Holy Spirit, plotting together, scheming God's justice, God's reconciliation, God's shalom. Do you remember my story about gasping for air in Tibet? I won't. (laughs) You know, in our times of disorientation, doesn't something exactly like that happen to us down here at sea level in Lancaster County? In these times, think about what in our times of disorientation, think about what actually happens to us physically. We stop breathing from our bellies, and we start breathing in a very shallow way up here. Ever done that? I do it more than I care to admit. And then this, in turn triggers our brain's fight-or-flight mechanisms. Adrenaline, our our brain thinks we're suffocating the way we're breathing, so adrenaline floods through our bodies. Our blood pressure rises, our stomach muscles contract, and our breathing speeds up. And then... These responses quickly leave our bodies aching and our brains oxygen-starved. And by the way, 
we become much, much less able to be loving or creative or Christ-like. So, in our times of disorientation, what if we all started using our breathing to quietly return to God for CPR, for inspiration, for resurrection? Since we all need to breathe without ceasing to keep on living, what if God has given us this very mechanism to help us to pray without ceasing as well. With every breath that we take, we pray. As a constant prompt to turn and to return to God who lends us breath. In her blog this past week, Monica Miller, a Goshen College student, describes how she does this. She actually does this by breathing in and out the sacred name for God in Hebrew. Yahweh. Yahweh. It almost sounds breath-like, whisper-like, doesn't it? And she does this by whispering Yahweh in on her in-breath, Excuse me, Yah on her in-breath, Way on her out-breath. Now this is, in Hebrew, a very, very holy name. So with deep reverence, let's try that together now. Yahweh. Yahweh. Yah. I hope you feel the profound intimacy of breathing in God's holy name. You see what Monica is doing here is sourcing her life in the life of God. Joining her life with God's life. And every breath she takes, she writes, she remembers to whom she has come from and to whom she is returning. So with Yahweh's name on our lips, Yahweh's breath in our lungs, her life And our lives are reoriented and reconnected with God, the giver of life and breath. May it be so. Amen.